everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. The Cold Shower Podcast is dedicated to the mission of providing people with original, quality, helpful, and challenging content in order to ensure the listener's personal growth. This podcast is the flagship endeavor of Cold Shower Media. Cold Shower Media is helping individuals, nonprofits, and corporations get their podcasts off the ground. From one-time consultations to full-scale production or anything in between, we've got you covered. Enjoy this conversation, and don't forget to check the show notes for all the happenings related to this episode, as well as the goings-on of Cold Shower Media. Here we go. Before we get into the conversation, I did just want to give a brief warning that this episode does contain some strong language. And I wanted to keep it in there, uh, despite the fact that we are typically pretty clean on this show, because it just highlights the severity of an experience that Kelsey had. And it's a recent experience and it's something that uh, just isn't right. And so I wanted to present it in the exact way that she shared it. I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram. A a little bit. Not much. No numbers. And I don't know. It's one of those things I've kind of like not purposely pushed back on, but I was like, I'm not going to go out of my way because other people have done it and they're doing oh it. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah, you I know. To, <laughs> you need to learn it. Yeah. Um, I'm a four and uh, fours go to health. Uh, they go to a one and then in stress, they go to a two. So, so for a long time, I thought I was a two, um, but I'm actually a four and fours are stereotypically, I guess, like the more emotional, dramatic, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, ones and that's like 100% me. But when it comes to vulnerability, I am basically an open book yeah. most of the time. Yeah. So like if I'm going through something, I will be as honest as I can and it may make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, you're outlining like why I started this podcast and I appreciate vulnerability and I like to be vulnerable and I like when people accept me when I'm vulnerable. Yeah. And sometimes I, I like, I guess the question I would have for you is when you think about your own vulnerability, Mm-hmm. Are you doing that? And then in the back of your mind, you're thinking this is of a service to other people so they can also learn. Or is it like a selfish endeavor and not selfish in the way like we all want to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's achieved through vulnerability. Yeah. Like, is it both of those? Is it one of those? Yeah. Is I it think, for you or other people? I think depending on the situation, I want to be understood. And so when somebody does not understand me and I have been as vulnerable as I can and as open as I feel like I need to be in that moment and I'm not understood. It is definitely damaging. Um, But then, yeah, I do share my story like in this piece um, called the N word. I do share it for other people Mm -hmm. um, so that other people maybe who have gone through things just like this can like find their voice. Um, Cause I've, I've had black friends that don't talk about race because it makes other people uncomfortable or they don't want to be a burden. And I'm like, you can't be a burden. Mm -hmm. Like, let's talk about it. Um, So yeah, for both crowds, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The burden thing. uh, I think even as a white man, I know black people that are really involved in the conversations around race. And then others that are a little bit more, like you said, like maybe just not um, wanting to even discuss it. And I often wonder, wonder why that is. And I, I'm like, well, do they, do they have to, and maybe that's a a question you could answer. I don't know if you would want to speak for everybody or not, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, there are times where I'm like, it's got to just be exhausting to constantly be talking about it. 100. 
percent. I wake up to it. I go to sleep to it. I dream about it. It's when yeah, it is. It can be crippling for sure. Um, and I think especially I th- in Grand Rapids, I felt like you know, the black sheep in the room, because most likely I was the black Mm -hmm. sheep in Mm -hmm. the room. But up here in Traverse City, it is like times 10. And I think I've gotten unfortunately used to it. Um, I wish I didn't, because now when I do go to Grand Rapids, I'm like culture shocked, like, oh, my gosh, another black person is here. Like, this Mm -hmm. is kind of crazy. I don't feel like I don't belong. Right. Um, but it is a constant feeling, especially being in the Midwest, being in Traverse City. It is it's a lot to mm-hmm. to take in every single day. Yeah. Yeah. One of my friends, um, he's a large black man. Mm-hmm. And it is actually something that I started thinking about as we were watching all of these things unfold, so whether it's um George Floyd, Brianna Taylor, like pick whichever one. Yeah. I was like, yeah, he was a college athlete and I was like, after all of that, like athletics and everything, I'm like, it doesn't really pay to be a large black man anymore, you know, because I'm thinking like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, it must be nice to be six, five and be able to like pursue your dreams of of college athletics. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just watched what happened with George Floyd, who was like six, three large. And I'm like, it 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 doesn't pay. You just you kind of carry around the stigma with you. And that's I think probably really difficult for him because he he's a professional man he's he's involved in business and all these things and i think a part of him just wants to just blend in be like everybody else and then uh when i was talking to him he was like yeah i really just don't want to talk about it much but at the same time my grandmas and grandpas are telling me stories about when they were beaten by police for simply just like trying to get some semblance of civil rights like all the things that we want and yeah. It's just it's it's a tough, difficult conversation. It's crazy. It is. And I think just like talking about his grandparents getting beaten by police. Um, I was actually talking about this today on my Instagram story, mm-hmm. as I do. I rant on there <laughs> often, um, but people act or like to believe that. racism somehow ended with Martin Luther King. Right. And like Rosa Parks was alive when I was two, three years old. Yeah. I have her over on the wall over there. Yeah. And I think because of when our schooling system teaches it this way, that it is in the past and we're over that now. And racism is, it's bad, but it's gone. Um, that only like has hurt us so much more because we have so many people our age or older who are like, what do you mean? Racism, racism is gone. Mm. Racism has been defeated. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And so when it comes to black lives matter, we have so many people who are screaming all lives matter. Right. And I think it's rooted in, in that belief that racism isn't, isn't a problem anymore these black people are just doing it to themselves. Mm-hmm. They're oppressing themselves. They're being dramatic. Um, which is unfortunately something that I have been told many a time and I'm only 23 mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm already just like sick of it. 
yeah, yeah. you're getting worn down mm-hmm. by all that. I know that I was really frustrated to, and I grew up with that kind of, that kind of thinking of like, yeah, this is all in the past and now mm-hmm. everybody's on this level playing field. And so you can, you can make whatever you want out of yourself and everybody has that chance. And that kind of having to like relearn all over again and seeing where white people are just failing to, um, failing to understand like their how they're kind of complicit in some of these things like if they're not making it their problem then nothing on a large scale is going to change and i was so disheartened we were talking about before we started recording like the time spent on our phone and social media and all these things there was that period of like one to three months when there was uh, you know with uh, coronavirus and then also all of the things surrounding the racial injustices where I was becoming almost physically sick over the things I was seeing on Facebook and the interactions that I was having and and trying to go to bat for some things that I know in my heart was the right cause. And people mm-hmm. telling me like, dude, this is not as important as you think it is. And I'm like, come on, like, where are we at with all this particularly? And we can talk about faith, too. I hope that we can. But like mm-hmm. as a Christian and these people that are claiming to be Christians, but somehow are still able to distance themselves from the conversation. I was like almost sick over it. Yeah, 100%. Those three months were (laughs) like hell, honestly. Mm -hmm. It was, oh gosh, it was just for so many reasons. It was very, very hard. And I think when I'm going to maybe cry, when Mm -hmm. Ahmad uh, was killed, I... I think that was like it for me Um, that he really um, like shifted, I guess, the weight Um, because I run and Mm. I don't feel safe running Um, mostly because I'm a woman, but partially because I am black. And like, I remember Going on a run, I ran the two, was it 2.23 miles Where is when he was shot. Um, I ran it and it does not take a long time to run that length. Mm-hmm. And just imagining like how tired I was in that moment and how out of breath I was to imagine a man like shooting me and like not being able to get away and only being two miles from my own house, like just how troubling that scenario is. And yeah, just like, I think that's when I kind of just had enough. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I've had enough for a while, Mm -hmm. Um, but that was definitely like, I am angry. I am tired. I can't do this anymore. And because I'm black and nobody, really gets it unless you are black and being up here, there's not a lot of black people around. (laughs) It's not a lot of black people around. So I felt very isolated. Nobody understood um, where I was coming from and the, the need to talk about it, the need to process it, the need to be angry, the need to be tired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it just wasn't, wasn't there for me. Um, And my mental health completely, it completely like went down the drain. Um, plus with COVID and that anxiety, that was like, 
when we were, were thinking like it was like on surfaces. Right. And so that was like, I could get COVID at any moment. Yeah. We thought 15 feet away from the person like that you were going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. It was was like, oh my gosh, I'm outside and somebody just walked past me. I'm going to get COVID. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that was already like a lot of anxiety. Um, And then watching Ahmad die and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot. Yeah. I know for. For me, one of the frustrating things is that um, like as a white person, seeing so many of my peers and and people that I, I well, I guess they're still my peers, but people that I've come to know mm-hmm. or have known for a long time, just continue to brush it off of like, no, well, that is one bad cop out of however many. Those are just two good old boys out of however many people, white people that aren't racist. And these are all just blips on the radar. Mm-hmm. And it's like. You're just at the at the same instance that you're doing that you're brushing away any like decency um, and compassion. And that is like the main thing that I try to employ on a daily basis is compassion. And I understand it doesn't come as easy for everybody to think of others, <laughs> but we have to get to that point. And we've seen that happen in these last five years and even yeah. earlier than that. But where we become so divided that we forget that there are just moments where we need to consider others before we consider ourselves or our own families. And I think also just like sit, like you said, I just needed space, I guess, to be angry Mm. Um, and like lamenting and, and sitting with people that are, that are sad, that are upset, that are angry and pissed off and, and just, just being there and, and showing that you're at least willing to be part of the conversation, even if that conversation is not going to happen right away. Cause sometimes it takes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, the unwillingness to do that was really frustrating. But in the same sense, I did see a lot of things open up and Mm -hmm. I know it's never fast enough. Like it never happens fast enough, but I did see a lot of people really take those issues to heart. And I think completely transform like their view on a lot of things. And so I hope that, Mm -hmm. that we are still making progress. Just the frustration is that the progress that we're making should have been made a long time ago or should be um, being happening much, much faster than what it actually is. Yes, completely. Do you do you want to read your piece from the Boardman Review? We'll shout out the Boardman Review. Um, yes. You are a heck of a writer. And thank you. I, I was really excited to see you in that. And as I reread it again today, it's like this is, can just open up kind of so many doors of, of conversation. So I'd love to hear your inflection and your take on on this piece. Thank you. Um, yeah, I wrote this, I think, a while ago. Um, and I revisited it and I edited it. Like, I changed a few wording, like, things. and um, But I didn't actually think it would be such a piece to people. Because to me, it's just like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just doesn't, I guess, it doesn't impress me. So it's just interesting that so many people liked it. Um, Let me drink water. Yeah. Okay. Um, This is called The N-Word. Belonging and thinking you belong are very different things. 
When you're in the sixth grade, you know that you belong amongst your peers, the other th sixth graders. You're a kid amongst other kids, so you are welcomed. It makes sense that you are there. As you sit on the bus that takes sixth graders like you to school, you understand that it is where you're supposed to be. You sit next to kids that become your friends and you learn about them. They all seem to be just like you. What they wear, what they look like, and how they speak. You see the details of their faces, hair texture and smiles. You're dressed like them, you speak like them, you even look like them. Strong words divide you. There is a shift in the bus. Everything around you begins to fog and your ears begin to ring. You look at your skin and you realize the difference between yours and theirs. You no longer belong here. You no longer belong on the bus that is meant to take you to your school. You are no longer welcome. The faces watching are now foggy and faded away and you sit there alone in the dark. You're 20 years old at a party with friends, celebrating the same holiday, playing the same games, laughing at the same jokes. You belong. You begin to enjoy the company of the others who are just like you, getting along with everyone there. Then all of a sudden, you feel numb and become dizzy. This feeling is familiar. Your heart starts racing. Darkness begins to overtake the light in the room. All you knew was wrong. You don't belong. You never did. You're again left alone in the familiar dark. You're 22 years old, having a meal with your partner, served by someone just like you, eating with someone just like you, besides other people just like you, in a city where you live and where you belong. Leaving the restaurant, you begin your walk home and watch others doing the same thing. You pass a man just like you, except he does not believe the same. His face shouts in yours, almost as if it were in slow motion. And then you hear it. You're familiar with the words spoken. You've met them many times before. Your partner left angry and you left numb. The street is emptied and you are left once again in the dark. You're outside with your mom. She's just like you, enjoying the breeze and the warmth of the sun shining bright. Your siblings are with you. They're just like you, laughing, playing and running. You see your neighbors in their yard, enjoying the welcoming sun and the coolness of the summer breeze. They're just like you. Your soft eyes meet theirs. Words like a bullet spiral towards you. The impact is great and agony grows within, though you're untouched. No blood has surfaced because this wound runs deeper. You are not like them. You do not belong. You are different. You are no longer home. Your family fades away. The sun's light diminishes and you welcome your friend, darkness. Hmm. Yeah, I was reading through that and why you're such a, obviously such a good writer is that you didn't like mention the N word really in any 
anywhere in that piece, but you clearly outlined like the feelings of what that's like too. One second you feel this sense of belonging. Oh, I'm with all my, I'm in sixth grade. I'm with all my sixth graders. Mm -hmm. And then boom, like out of nowhere, you get hit with that realization of like, no, I'm actually not like a lot of these people. And Mm -hmm. I think that that, that is something everybody should be able to relate to. Not necessarily in that way, but just where you can get cut so deep so quickly when you have like a realization like that. Mm -hmm. And it could be, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't belong here all of a sudden because I don't have the nice clothes that someone has or my mom and dad can't pay for this and whatever it might be. So everybody like experiences that um, to some extent. But the difference is just like these are that's something that you can't escape from. And you outlined how it's followed you your entire life. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just like curious. um, Is it just tiring? Is it um, something that you've gotten used to? Like, what is what is the difference between sixth grade Kelsey and now 23 year old Kelsey in in response to something like the N word or the realization that I'm a little different? Um, yeah, in these circumstances, um, like I said, I didn't mention the N word, but in some of those, uh, parts that I did read, I was called the N word. Um, some of them were just like an outside force made me realize like I am the only black person here. Um, and so sixth, sixth grade Kelsey definitely was, I didn't care. I also had more black people around me cause I was in Grand Rapids okay. um, and my school was very diverse. Um, and so I didn't really think about it, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm mixed also. So that also was like different. Um, but being black, it was just kind of like, yeah, this is a part of me and, I don't think about it. Um, And then the older I got, uh, unfortunately, we had a racist neighbor growing up. And he was also a sex offender. Talk about trauma. Yeah. Um, So he uh, he was like a six, six, four big guy Mm. and very, very scary. He would scream the N word through a megaphone at us. Wow. Uh, every day I wouldn't, I wouldn't go outside, um, monkey, gorilla, anything, anything that he could throw at us, he would say, uh, and I was maybe 11, 12 Mm -hmm. when he moved uh, next to us. And I think in high school is when he moved away. And in high school, that's when I guess the light switch went off for my feminism (laughs) like and just like racial issues because it's like you can't you can't escape it it's inevitable um i can't ignore race like so many other people can Mm -hmm. um and so sixth grade to 23 year old kelsey i actually heard somebody say the n-word like a few weeks ago down the street Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in, like passing him here. Yeah. To, to you or not to just me. Like, um, <laughs> in yeah. normal conversation. Not yeah. to me. In normal conversation, this person was calling their white friend the mm. N word. Yeah. And so I 
like I am a bold character, I stopped. I looked at the guy dead in the face and I was just like, I don't want to hear you say that ever again. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know why you think you can say that. I don't know who you think you are, but you are not going to say that anymore. So now I'm like, I've had enough. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to let that slide. Um, Which is why I think my family for a long time, we were talking about Facebook. Um, I was very loud and aggressive on my Facebook, very angry and just like sick of it. And so, and on Facebook, obviously everybody gets into a Facebook fight. It's Mm -hmm. like (laughs) inevitable. It's going to happen. So just stay away. Um, But during that time, just like my awakening, let's call it my, my wokeness Mm -hmm. (laughs) started. Um, I, was very aggressive and a lot of people reacted very poorly. My family was like, you need to calm down. Like people I was in relationships with were like, you are too much. And it was just like, I'm not enough. Like Mm -hmm. I need to be louder, be more aggressive. I will not be silent anymore. Like I've been silent for so long and just like taken the bullets. And I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. That's where white people need an education as a whole, because we very much like to um, hijack whatever what any of these efforts are. Right. So we we want peaceful protests, but it can't look like (laughs) kneeling because that's disrespectful. Even when someone says that, like Colin Kaepernick, for example, members of his family in the military, it is not um, something that he's doing out of disrespect for the military. But for some reason, we can't just take him at his word. And try to uh, respect and appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that he's kneeling and he's not forcing anyone else to kneel. Yeah. Um, and teammates can decide for themselves if they'd like to join him or not. Um, we really like to hijack those efforts. And that also includes um, kind of editing what else, you know, so you were in some ways being edited. Right. And yeah. people saying, you know, I think I think uh, we'd be a little bit more receptive to you if you weren't so loud, weren't so brash and kind of were a little bit more careful with your words. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I think that we need to get more comfortable uh, saying, no, I'm, I'm just going to sit in this. Mm-hmm. And if you have words of opposition, just keep them to yourself. Like. It's become really um, a big piece for me whenever there's issues like this, uh, whenever there's issues like women's rights, different things like that, um, where if I myself haven't even yet come around to the idea of what someone is trying to convince other people is important. Mm -hmm. So say say just for example, that I didn't value uh, like women's rights right now. I do. I have a wife. (laughs) But if I didn't. Um, I think it goes a long way for me just to be quiet and let things go, like let things work themselves out and only speak when I'm ready to be in support of. These are not things that we're talking about that are harming other groups of people. These are simply Mm -hmm. lifting another group of people up that have needed it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then the the part I wanted to get to is saying when when you have people that are telling you to calm down, quiet down, uh, choose your words more carefully. Um, those are oftentimes the same people that have been ignoring black people when they have spoken, um, I guess in a more measured, and I do that in a, with quotes in a more measured and comfortable way. They've been talking about it for centuries centuries. And, and so if we weren't prepared to listen then, then I don't think we have any room to edit the way that it looks now. 100%. Martin Luther King was murdered 
Yeah. It's easy to forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy to forget. And it's like we had the Malcolm X and then we had Martin Luther King. Um, neither one was good enough. So I feel like that conversation died a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It's like, we'll be peaceful. It's like, I think we tried. I think we tried that. It's like, well, you know, stop like, and then you have the Malcolm X who's like, they're not going to listen to you. We have to be loud. We have to be aggressive. And yeah, it's just too easy to disqualify something that you just don't want to deal with. Right. And that is a lot of people still, unfortunately, right now, I have family members that don't believe that racism is an issue because it doesn't affect them. And that is hard that is very very hard to address and talk about and it is just kind of like the big like black what did i you say earlier black, black sheep? sheep yeah i was gonna say cow <laughs> <laughs> sheep is a little more endearing yeah. <laughs> yeah the big black sheep in the room um because it makes people uncomfortable and people in America, we don't like to do things that make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We like our comfort and we like our fluffy lives. Um, and if anything is going to threaten my fluffy life, then I'm going to disqualify you and remove you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Like, I agree with all yeah. of that. And with the way that we saw things play out where you're talking about uh, the anger that that accompanies a lot of these injustices and I could just see people mm-hmm. and because of where I grew up with, and I have seen um, and heard some pretty disgusting and uh, vile racist things and racist ideologies mm-hmm. uh, are deeply entrenched in where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that they don't realize that it's even racism and there are incredibly Uh, gracious and wonderful people there. And a lot of those same people (laughs) are people that I know and love deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so entrenched and and they haven't yet figured out like how to identify it and why it's harmful to, to think and act this way. Um, So I knew that as we started to see these protests and these things happen, we kind of all knew like what was going to take place. There was this boiling point. And so with a boiling Mm -hmm. point, then things happen. Um, where people start to get aggressive Mm -hmm. and it was like clockwork where there are all these people who never said a damn thing um, about the injustices that were right in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then boom, couldn't get to their keyboard fast enough. As soon as the, um, the rioting started to happen. 100%. And it was just so predictable. Yeah. And, but still just as, just as saddening, like I wanted to be proved wrong and Mm -hmm. boy, I was not, I was not proved wrong at all. Yeah. My first reaction when I saw the Grand Rapids protests, it was just like so sad and just so disheartening that that was happening in my city and like companies that I like Madcap. I was like, oh, my gosh, like they're like destroying Madcap like that. That was personal. And I got really sad. But then I thought about it Hmm. (laughs) and it was like, no, these things can be replaced. George Floyd cannot be replaced. So yeah, break the building, mm-hmm. burn target down, like be mad, like show them we're serious this time. 
And I did have a lot of people like, well, they don't need to, you know, be so violent. And so, and it's like, well, <laughs> I don't think police officers need to be as violent as they are, but they, but they are. Yeah. So let's talk about that maybe first and then, and then we'll get to the protests. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, it comes down to like we talked about earlier, like wanting to edit the conversation to make it comfortable, mm -hmm. wanting to have a say in how all of this is supposed to look, but never uh, working to provide an environment where those conversations can thrive. And I believe that, you know, we are as sad as it is to see those things happen, that rioting happen. I believe that we are complicit in that because these conversations couldn't take place in what in in the fashion that we would want them to. Mm -hmm. I think they could have a long time ago, but wasn't wasn't in the cards, I guess. Um, right. Yeah. I the one um, instance that you had alluded to and when you were out to dinner with your partner and yeah. that um, I remember hearing that story uh, when it shortly after it had happened. And I just I couldn't I couldn't like believe it. But I could at the same time, just one of those things. Um, mm -hmm. I'd be curious, like, can you outline, do you care to outline like that interaction and what that was like? Because I kept just thinking about what I would have done in that situation as like mm -hmm. the as the white man. And then I got to thinking about it and I was like, I don't know that that's the important part of the story. I think the important <laughs> part of the story is like, um, you know, probably how you were feeling afterwards. Yeah. Thank you for asking, because I feel like after... I didn't really get to process that very much. Um, so we were at Rome, a restaurant in Grand Rapids, and we were walking, we were like walking back, like just left the restaurant and we were about to cross uh, the street. We were on um, Monroe Street and this larger white young blonde guy like probably on drugs who knows what he was doing um i'm gonna say the word yeah. <laughs> okay mm -hmm. just making sure yeah. um he came right into my face and was like we don't love niggers mm -hmm. and i looked at him and i was just like excuse me he was just like nigger like over and over like we don't love these niggers like at that mm. point and it was just like i didn't even so I he took even issue remember. with the fact that you were with a white man it seems like almost but then he was also he, he was weird he was also like kit like kissy lips winking at me like fetishy weird sexualization and was basically he said like we don't love these niggers and I think like fuck niggers and like mm -hmm. all this other stuff. But it was just like, it like hit me. Cause it was like, Whoa, this hasn't happened in a while. Um, it just like took me and I just like stood there and like dealt with him the best that he could. We were in public, like, mm -hmm. you know, he's like slapped his face like a little bit to turn his the guy's face yeah. to meet or to, to make eye contact with him. Cause he was like looking over his shoulder and was like kissy lips being gross, yada, yada. Yeah. And at that point it was just like completely out of line. I mean, all of it was out of line, right. <laughs> um, but then he like, 
screamed it again, screamed something else and like ran basically into the street, like with okay. oncoming traffic. It was very, very strange. <laughs> it's really weird. But after that, yeah, I feel like, I feel like in that moment, I didn't get to talk about my feelings. It was just like, I couldn't believe that that happened. And I think he was able to express a little bit more than I was able to. Um, it was probably it, like his introduction to that type yes, of treatment. Exactly. I think it was shocking for him. And in that moment, I was kind of like happy that he saw that mm. because it was like, maybe he'll understand where I'm coming from when we, cause we would talk about race a lot. And a lot of the time, obviously as a white man and a black woman, it's like, that's gonna not mix well, very like mm -hmm. often. And so in that moment I was like, well, maybe like this will open up a perspective that he didn't have before. And I think it did in a way, cause we were able to talk about race more often and like, think back to like that moment and like that happened once and he wasn't even the person being mm -hmm. talked to he was just kind of like there to defend as like my partner but it's like no that that happens like mm -hmm. often <laughs> and yeah I just like would hope that that would like stick with him for the rest of his life when it comes to like how it feels to be black a person of color and just like oppressed in that way yeah. yeah i think the we always try to figure out instances in our lives where we can relate in some way and i don't mean to at all belittle that experience but i'm just thinking like for me the closest thing i would have to that which is nowhere near as traumatic is just like ageism it's just some mm. type of like ageism wow. other than that i'm like that's when? like that's like wild yeah <laughs> it, it was more of just what are you doing here? And then I, I would like explain my job and they'd be like, you're much too young to be able to do that. And so they set this precedent of like, well, this isn't going to go well because this dude is not capable because of his age and his lack of experience and all these things. Mm -hmm. I remember that was like pretty deeply hurtful, but that is, I will readily admit that is nowhere near the same level of, of trauma. And the thing, the instance you just explained involves multiple levels so yeah. that is uh, race based. It's also you mentioned the sexual sexualization of, I think women of color, yeah, uh, women 100%. in general, but yeah. uh, women of color. There is a major issues with the sexualization major of women issue. of color. Yes, and then also the um, being a woman, and just how layered all of that is, and it's like trauma stacked on top of trauma. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it was definitely triggering to all the other instances where that has happened as well. So it's, it is just kind of like, um, like I learned that like trauma is passed down through our DNA, mm. which is really interesting. So mm. it is, it is just kind of like you're stacking cards over and over and over again. And that's why I'm, I'm 23 and I'm like exhausted. Right. <laughs> it just like kind of, you know, makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think as, um, I don't know if it's as deeply rooted, but when we talk about trauma and experience based on skin color, how rooted that is and that that's that's a part. I mean, we, we've seen examples of that play out where multi, like tons of examples where parents, black parents have said, no, I just treat the police 
different. And I'm training my child from the age that they're leaving the house on their own, whether it's just to go down the block to the park, uh, to shoot hoops or whatever it is. Like Mm -hmm. I'm training them and how they need to be responding to the police. Yeah. And that is, that almost seems like just this built in, um, responsibility that parents have. Mm -hmm. And then as deeply rooted as some of that is, I think that, um, white people have this same thing built in, which is just like a denial of their involvement. Mm -hmm. Um, in this perpetual cycle. And I think that we have to come to terms with that. And it it doesn't even have to look like just guilting yourself into these actions. It just has to be, uh, I think, understanding just the differences and what that looks like. And if you can give yourself room to kind of understand that, then I think that you can be part of the part of the group of people that's going to lead to a positive change. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people, they start the conversation out of feeling guilty or they're like, I don't know what to say or they feel uncomfortable. So they shut it down because they do feel, you know, bad and guilty. But I think, yeah, like like you said, if it doesn't come from guilt, but like compassion and love and like I'm going to be uncomfortable to love this person, I think we would definitely move at a higher rate than what we are. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of people, I think, just come from the place of guilt um, and not knowing how to handle that guilt or even like express it in like an appropriate way. Right. Yeah. Oh, how many like how many examples are there of that happening right now? I'm thinking of just a million different oh things, gosh, so whether it's so your political choice, um, the, the racial injustice, mask wearing like that. That's one for me where. I'm like, you know, I'll be that guy that will wear a mask in the grocery store like a lot longer than is maybe necessary, because if it's going to make that that little old lady that I'm brushing shoulders with next to the spaghetti sauce or something feel Mm -hmm. better, then I'll do that. And I don't find that to be um, too much of an issue. And I think that we as people are presented with so many opportunities to exercise compassion and we're given a lot of chances mm-hmm. and we fail a lot of the times. We and fail just, a lot of the time, so much of the time. And like, praise God <laughs> for grace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like, which is why it's so interesting because Christians are very vocal about all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And I just question like, where is your compassion? Where is your empathy? Like, where is the gospel mm-hmm. um, in all lives matter? And they've explained it in a way where it's like, well, Jesus died for all. And it was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but and Jesus was brown. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, so who is Jesus? <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about this. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, it's just funny, I guess. Well, yeah, when we talk about faith and it's so it's gotten so difficult for me, not my faith. My faith has actually grown through yeah. all of this, but it's become more difficult to explain to non-believers like why I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. because we are. And I say this like as a whole, as a church, mm-hmm. not really um, giving a great representation of ourselves all the time. And so yeah. I think like if you have a pastor that, you know, didn't bother to mention the right. racial injustices that were happening yeah. and he was doing his church a disservice. He's they or, or she, they are 
a leader in that church. And these are all things that were discussed in the Bible. And so it is not uh, against the Bible to go and start to talk about some of these things. Like these are, these are all things that Jesus covered and, and how we are supposed to treat one another. Definitely. Um, it would it would be a lot more accurate to discuss those things, but we've gotten so entrenched, um, you know, as like white conservatives mm-hmm. in in our our way of thinking that it's really difficult for us to come out of our bubble, and we have kind of whitewashed Christianity in a lot of ways. I mean, where we, we don't s- think it matters. We can just start with white Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Christianity has completely been whitewashed and it has been for hundreds of years but i i find it hard to my faith has also grown like grown immensely um through just like the last six seven months but it is interesting when i have my non-believer friends who look at me and they're like kelsey (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you talk about jesus all the time like you I'm like, I will talk about the Lord all day long. Um, but it is interesting, like how they'll, they're like, well, you're not like them, but you're not, but you're not like one of those Christians, mm-hmm. you know, because I am like vocal about my beliefs and I, you know, am more of a Democrat when it comes to just like my beliefs for, you know, anyway. Um, but it is interesting and it is like a shame but I also feel like the Lord is using this to refine his church. Like I think COVID and um, Black Lives Matter and all of the turmoil with Trump, like the church is being refined. Like the Lord is refining his people. And just because you go to a church building doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think in COVID, the people who, know the Lord, like went to him and basically the rest are almost kind of falling away and having to find either their faith again or just simply falling away. Cause in the end time, it says like even his followers like will not know him. Mm -hmm. And that was really convicting to me like five months ago because I was struggling with just like the world and personal things and being black and like, you know, Trump's, you know, reelection coming Mm -hmm. up. That was like so much, um, for me. And I just like got so convicted and I was just like, Jesus, like I need to know you. I was like, I don't care. Like I care about these things, but like ultimately like I do not want to fall away because of bitterness, because of anger, because of, my lack of trust in like whatever the Lord is doing with this weird pandemic and Trump and everything else. Um, But yeah, I feel like my faith has definitely grown because of all of these things, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. My little brother actually gave me um, a cool perspective. I'm blessed with four brothers, Mm -hmm. three of which are younger and all of them are like further along on their faith journey than I am. So I get to learn from each and every one of them. Um, But my one brother, he had said, like, you see those statistics of less people in America each year are identifying as Christian and how, Mm -hmm. oh boy, we're, we're no longer this Christian nation. And um, I think some of that, 
is true. Like people truly that identified as Christian and were a Christian, I guess, in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. um, have decided to part from that. But he was like, I think more than that, there's just people who can't really like hide anymore. Like mm-hmm. they said they were Christian, but now that there is this environment where it's kind of more okay to say that you're not, mm-hmm. they're like, cool. Cause I never really was into it anyway. You know what I mean? Exactly. And in some ways that's a little bit comforting because I don't, I don't want to like, obviously don't want people to leave the faith, but what I, when I hear that, I'm thinking, oh, okay. So they weren't really a part of it to begin with. Mm -hmm. And we are just, like you said, more refining what it might look like. And I think we do have a chance, like hopefully this conversation will take a turn for hope, but Mm -hmm. um, we have this neat chance right now to start to figure out some of these things. And I was like talking with my dad too, just the other weekend. And he's like, Taylor, I have to, I'm not going to try to toot my own horn, but he's like, I have to tell you, man, as a 55 year old, like white conservative, you have changed my thinking and at least forced me to look at things a little bit differently. Mm. And I'm like, what a unique like opportunity that we have right now to make that actually happen. And not that everything that I think is correct. Right. Uh, but just to be able to offer up some alternative ways of thinking and stress what I believe is important mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Like you said, it might be a refinement of the church. I hope that it is. We yeah. definitely have a big responsibility moving forward. Definitely. Yeah. I think more people are seeking relationship with Jesus instead of the religiousness of Christianity. I say that in quotations mm-hmm. um, because Jesus, he's not like... Well, you went to church today. Right. <laughs> Come here. Get mm-hmm. in heaven. Yeah. Like, welcome to heaven, son. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not going to happen. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, it's up to, it's up to him, really. Um, but I also was going to say uh, with your dad, like, I feel like that's a really important part for, like, white people right now is to open up that conversation with their older parents, with mm-hmm. their uncle, with their aunt, with their siblings who are just like oh my gosh it's not a big deal these black people are just being like dramatic and you know they oppress themselves you know because of like black on black crime that doesn't exist like black people aren't killing black people because they're black (laughs) that's not a thing um love that the the (laughs) crime rates in chicago like well why don't they just worry about that it's like, A, they are. They are. And B, it doesn't look the way that you think it does. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, exactly. It's not because that other person is black. Um, It's usually like gang related, yep. which I could go into this because there's so many things when it comes to violence in societies. It's like, well, we're not taking care of this group of people. So therefore, what's going to happen? Violence, mm-hmm. stealing, killing, destroy, like it's just a, what is, what's the word? A outcome like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then we have our richer, whiter neighborhoods where the crime rates are slim to none. It's like, Mm. I wonder why that is, but I know. Police responses are quicker as well. Exactly. Um, I forgot what I was saying. Hmm. Yeah. I forgot too. (laughs) (laughs) we are talking a little bit about the church and just the refinement of what that. Oh yeah. Looks like. yeah. Just like the white person's part right now. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that is a crucial, crucial thing 
in the church. Um, luckily, like I was going to Sojourn at the time. And I, I don't know, like it's all online. So kind of attending. Um, but he, uh, the pastor did mention uh, Black Lives Matter and he did mention the injustice. And I really appreciated that because I, I did wonder. I was like, I wonder, like, are we going to talk about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And I'm so glad that he did. Um, and I think even just that opened up at least like a crack in the door of some people's hearts to question their beliefs when it comes to race and question why they are scared of that black man across the street. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Cause even growing up, growing up, like this is why I say everybody's racist mm-hmm. also. Everybody's racist because America is racist. Our culture is racist. If I, a black girl, grows up and is fearful of the black man across the street and I am black. Yeah. I'm racist and I'm black. So it's like, I know damn well (laughs) these other people are also racist and struggling with the same things because it's like, and I think I was in third grade um, when I realized this, um, my white friend was like, we need to move. There's a black guy coming. And I was just like, I like looked at her and I was just like, he's, he doesn't care about us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's minding his own business. I was like, why would you be scared of somebody who looks like my brother? Yeah. And she was like, uh, well, you mm-hmm. know, she didn't know what to say. Cause she was also a third grader, just going with the motion of things. But that's when it really hit me. And it was like, Oh, like that's what racism is. Mm-hmm. I was very young. Um, actually, Hmm, interesting. Yeah, working through some things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to to start to become aware of some of that stuff at a young age is really incredible. I tried to kind of parallel it with some of the you know, poverty type stuff that kids realize too is mm-hmm. it does not take long to start to divide each other into groups and it can look a lot of different ways. It can yeah. be, you know, oh well, you know, they're wearing the uh I'm trying to think of like a cheap oh, pair of basketball uh, shoes compared to like the Nike shocks. Or yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. wearing their uh, older brothers, hand-me-down sketchers and, and right. I'm wearing the Nike shocks and they're also on the B team and I'm on the A team. This must right. all like be related. Yeah. This um, must be related. They stink a little bit. Yeah. Never like being told that, yeah, they can't really shower as much as you can. Like you have your mm-hmm. own Jack and Jill bathroom with your, with your sister, yeah. like that stuff. We, we are always looking for any little opportunity to divide each other because we're also really comfortable with groups and, yes. and those types of layouts. And I, I think that's just something that as each individual gets more comfortable examining that and then maybe they can pass along some of that mm-hmm. stuff, like you said, to a friend, a peer, a parent, an uncle. Mm-hmm. The conversation broadens. I believe you said that the way it moves along is never fast enough. So I'm curious, how are you feeling either A, throughout your life or B, since we really saw that major boiling point a couple months ago, are you feeling at all like any better about the process or are you still just frustrated with all of it? I'm completely frustrated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about it. Um, Just another hashtag. Mm -hmm. We've seen like 10 other people being killed like recently a 23 year old this one recently two days ago two three days ago probably um 
23 year old, uh, black kid. My brother's 23. Mm. Like that's terrifying. And when I learned in Ohio, he was murdered by police. Um, all he was doing was walking into his house, carrying subway sandwiches that he just got for his family. They shot him three times in the back mm. and like, <laughs> maybe going to cry. It's fine. Yeah. Um, my brother, Eric, like we talk about this all the time. Like he doesn't feel safe where he has to go for his job. And so uh, he got a, he got a gun, which mm. I am not okay with. And he's like, well, I don't feel safe. Like it's just in case, you know, I have like, it's legal, all these things. And I'm like, Eric, you are mm. already a target. Like you could, you could have a subway sandwich in your hands and that is so scary for me because mm-hmm. um, it's not a faraway issue. It is not a faraway issue. And that is something I keep having to remind myself because I've had people tell me, well, it's a faraway issue, Kelsey. Don't worry about it. And it's like, this is like home, you know, yeah. this is home. This is not far away um, at all. And so I just like, I just keep seeing more black men, women, children dying at the hands of police and also racists, just random racist people acting violently towards black brown people. It's not always just police. Um, it's, it's the whole, the whole thing just has to change. Um, so I'm very frustrated, very tired. Um, I think I've been able to deal with it in a better way. Like, I'm not just sitting, yeah. you know, staring at the wall, not being able to like feel anything. Right. It's part um, of your process. Like you, that was yeah. part of the process. Yeah, exactly. Um, so definitely coping better. Um, but even like still like people aren't sharing as much. People aren't talking, talking as much. Black Lives Matter was a way for a moment for white people to join us, you know, be like, I'm an ally for you. And I just wonder how serious these people were, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes down, when it comes down to it, because it's like, yeah, you're probably tired, huh? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. is that why you stopped? It's like, yeah. I'm tired too. (laughs) And I will be for the rest of my life and Mm -hmm. my children will be, and I have to prepare them for that. Um, I think about this a lot. Um, just like if I'm tired now, like older black people, like I am just, I applaud them for living over 50. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it is intense. The stress of, of everything. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I do I do see progress because it is more of a conversation and we do have social media that helps that um, to keep it alive, to keep it going. But. Yeah, I think I think we need to continue to just like be as loud and as aggressive as we need to be. When Joe Biden takes over, hopefully like and with, you know, Ms. Harris, Mm -hmm. um, she hopefully will really start to change some things that's the hope yeah yeah i think i've spoken very openly this shouldn't surprise anybody 
um, that listens to the show, but I've spoken very openly about my disdain for Trump and um, not even on a, a policy level, but I'm talking my most of my disdain lies with a, because it's really difficult to understand policy. I wish I could <laughs> at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was stressing way back in 2015, the importance of leadership, of character and leadership and um, the ability to not speak so divisively, di- excuse me, divisively. And a lot of that got brushed aside. I was teased for that type of thinking like, mm-hmm. no, this is it's not important to have a man of character in office. Um, words don't matter. It's it's more about what he can get done. And we really saw that play out. And I think both sides can hopefully admit to having seen that play out because um, if you're on the left, you were constantly feeling uh, under attack. And in that, in turn, you were then put on your heels and forced to push back. Mm-hmm. And you had your equal and opposite reaction a lot of times. And we saw this with politicians throughout, right? All oh, the yeah. squabbling that we were, were um, witnessing. And then if you were on the right, if you experienced um, an increased level of vitriol and hatred towards the left, <laughs> then that yeah. means that it did impact you too, his yes. negative words. And it, it built a fire up inside of you to start to uh, not value people quite as much as maybe what you did in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I, my hope with this, this change is that we will see just how much positive words and character. And again, I'm not like betting my life that Joe Biden is this squeaky clean dude. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is that um, I, I would bet my life that he has more character than Trump. But 100 um, percent. I would say my left foot has more character. Yeah. Than yeah. Trump. I had said one time, like <laughs> on a podcast, I'm I would vote for my office chair before I would vote for him. 100 percent. Um. I think that we can see a bit of healing with that. And I'm curious, what did it mean to you? You'd already said that you uh, tend to be a little bit more democratic and I've done like some research in terms of listening to podcasts and stuff in that um, black people and even Christian black people tend to vote more democratic. Whereas we all know that white um, Christians almost always vote Republican. Mm -hmm. It's some crazy number like night in the 90 percent. And I think it's Mm -hmm. close to the same number um, on the other side of the spectrum. And so what did what did it mean to have a woman of color be the first like vice woman, female vice president? Yeah. Wow. I I can't express (laughs) to you how. Like, good, that just feels um like I felt like I could I could actually do something like I was like, this is real representation of women and black women. And it like made me emotional because it was like my nieces growing up like. Like, oh, my gosh, like having a black woman vice president to like look up to and just like like hope hoping like this would be like i don't know just to start you know like we would have mm-hmm. more like this is like the in is just like so so cool like one when trump lost that overall was just like <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know joy until that moment no. <laughs> um but 
just like knowing he will be out of office and then having a black woman stepping into office, just it, fe it feels really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's okay. Cause there's a lot of people that might be listening to this and they're like, Oh my gosh, she's going to usher in just these like terrible policies. I want people that are thinking that like, just to understand the magnitude of what it means to have um, someone that looks like her and of her gender become vice president. And just that on its face is something that I think can be appreciated, right? Yeah. We need to all understand that that in itself is just a huge thing. Yes. And we should be kind of proud of our, of that type of direction yeah. happening in our country. Um, and that you can think that that's a cool thing and not like condone every single policy that's going to be put in place by Biden exactly. or Harris or whatever. Exactly. Um, I may not agree with everything that she's wanting, but the fact that she is a black woman in office yeah. is impressive mm -hmm. and astounding and inspirational. And, and yeah, it's just empowering completely because for how long have we had white men mm -hmm. <laughs> in office for like vice president and president. Yeah. And then Obama broke that, you know, a little bit being like the first black male president. Um, but to have a woman like, and a black woman is just like, she's killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it should be appreciated because that's progress. Right. And I think that there's a whole, well, about 50%, more than 50% of the population is now tasked with the responsibility of holding who they voted for accountable, right? And mm -hmm. I think that you and I sh are sharing that, that what was a major problem of ours these last four years, it's that we didn't think Trump was being held accountable enough for his lack of character and for his words. Yeah. Um, and I always thought like, yeah, it's just another thing that they're just like brushing aside. And I was just yes. waiting for the chance to have someone that I um, respect a little bit more for me to have my chance to like hold them accountable. Like I'm kind of waiting for some of these gaffes from Biden that I can say like, dude, that's not what you said you were going to do yeah. or whatever. And that is our responsibility is supposed to be that that push and that pull that kind of leaves us in a decent spot as a country. Yes. Exactly. I would agree completely. Yeah. yeah. I remember back to 2015, um, just like in disbelief that like Trump was going to be the president of the United States. Was it 2015? Yeah. Yeah. When he was yeah. chosen yeah. as the candidate. Um, I was in YWAM in California at that time, surrounded with Christians, you know, guess mm -hmm. <laughs> that. Um, and they were all so stoked, so stoked, yeah. like celebrating. And me and the other like five black people there mm -hmm. <laughs> were like, oh my gosh, like this is the end. <laughs> like yeah. this is, I feel like this is really, really, really bad. And it was, it mm -hmm. has been. Um, and so, it's interesting to see those people now uh, after these four years, just like, oh, you know, and like, it's a really good thing that Trump is not the president anymore mm. because there was, there, like you said, no accountability. I do remember just like, I think the first time of just like, are we really going to ignore that? And then it was again, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He just said, grab, a, grab them what? Like, mm -hmm. excuse me, like this is highly inappropriate and 
than all of like his scandals and everything else. And it's just like so mind boggling that any Christian, any person that is like in love with Jesus, living for the Lord can be like, Trump is a great guy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't see anything wrong with his lifestyle and just like supporting him, not even just like to be president, but like as a person that was so concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, especially with like abortion and everything, um, the right tends to use that to get votes, especially from Christians. Yeah. Um, when in reality, I don't think that they care about the issue at all because if they did, we would see progress. We mm-hmm. would see, we would see, you know, uh, programs to put in place. Um, but like knowing because of all of his scandals and who knows how many kids he has, you know, outside of what we see. Um, and the one that I'm thinking of is when he threw money at the girl that he just sexually assaulted and said, go get an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, when we have stories like that proving, like just putting like, so much i'll just say proof like concrete evidence i Mm -hmm. guess um that a man should not be the president of the united states and he shouldn't be even considered to be the president of the united states to see him win and to see christians supporting that it was definitely mind-boggling um and crazy which is why i i am just like watching what the lord is doing um seeing all of these Christians over here. And then these, the four years later with COVID, with the, you know, not being able to go to church, like who is really following the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really interesting and cool to see like where we are right now, even though it is like hectic and crazy and weird. um, And we don't know what is going to happen with like Trump (laughs) <laughs> because he's already he's like holding on mm-hmm. like with his nails and teeth yeah um and so whatever the lord is doing like i'm still praying for trump's salvation like hopefully he knows the lord and maybe in the end that's like the whole reason for this it was like trump mm-hmm. getting saved <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's like worth it great um but yeah it's just shocking to see like how the how the christian groups have um changed Mm. or grew more uh like fierce in their beliefs for him i think it's like either either one yeah a lot of them you know did double down and Mm -hmm. um i think for those that did is even at like for as difficult and that is literally i think to date one of the biggest challenges of my life is trying to figure out how um they could double down on that and mm-hmm. trying to understand that. And I have no choice but to convince myself that there's nobility like at the root of that. Um, and I think it was just filled with people that convinced themselves that whatever policies uh, he was going to put in place, that they were going to kind of further this Christian agenda. Um, mm-hmm. And that like, that's a like, cool. Mm-hmm. But you also do need to do the homework in in asking yourself like but is it actually yeah um because abortion is is a really tough one i mean obviously we know that the um the left tends to introduce more types of programs that are benefiting women in a way that they're they're sharing 
why they would ever feel the need to get an abortion. And mm -hmm. it's almost always related back to um, money and mm -hmm. food and and those different types of things like that and not feeling like they would be able to effectively care for the child. Right. Now, you can swear up and down like that. That's still not a good enough reason mm -hmm. that. OK, I'm with you. But like. That is what they're telling us. So right. we have to look at how we can address those things. And if you're not willing to address those types of things, then your argument kind of tends to get a little bit more flimsy. Yeah. So I think that these conversations, at least for me, are much more out in the open. And we are having to have a dialogue of, well, how do we actually help people and not just use these big words that both sides tend to use mm -hmm. as pawns, like, yeah. you know, um, abortion. That is a, that is a big one for the right pro-life, pro-choice, all these different mm -hmm. uh, buzzwords that both sides use to their advantage to get certain certain voters. We know the Republicans rely immensely on the white conservative voter. Like yeah. if those percentages drop even a tick, then they're like, we're screwed yeah, <laughs> in this election. Exactly. Yeah. And the left has their populations like that too. Mm -hmm. um, and so we do have to be more kind of receptive to some of that and be willing to engage in conversations if we actually mm -hmm. want to see the change. Otherwise we're just voting for um, what some party says they think is right, but then we never actually watch them carry it out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I wonder... I'm curious to like look at all of the things that Trump said that he would do four years ago and like see what he's actually done. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm actually really curious. Yeah, there's probably a checklist somewhere. Yeah, um, probably. Is. You'd want to be careful where you got it from, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the the wall is a funny one for me. I oh, mean, yeah. <laughs> we heard over and over about that and that we would not be paying for it. And that oh hasn't been the case. No. Nope. It's been mostly rebuilding existing walls, is my understanding. Yeah. But it's not a complete wall. Have you seen the videos of people with the wall? Climbing them? Yeah. Yeah. Those are pretty. <laughs> so, yeah. So funny. Or just like walking through them. Yeah. <laughs> you go like, oh, <laughs> like it's, a doorway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Proper yeah. entry. Yep. Welcome, Matt. Uh, so funny. That's a that's a tough one. I've talked about immigration on this podcast before, and that's another really complicated one. And I hope that listeners can understand, like, I think you and I are both on the same page of we're speaking a little bit, little bit differently to Christians. And again, I I'm not trying to say that I have all my thoughts in perfect alignment and that everything I say is exactly is exactly right. And you should adopt all of it. Mm -hmm. um, but there are things that I struggle with and things that I question. And I definitely treat my listenership kind of in two different groups. Like I hold uh, my Christian listeners to a bit of a different like standard, Yeah, I guess. And, and I hope that people realize that we, the words relate to kind of everybody, but there mm -hmm. are different levels of responsibility, I think. Yeah, I would agree completely. Yeah. Cause I think um, even just around like this election, it was like, is it your Christian duty to vote? I saw that a lot. Yeah. And I would say, yes, mm. it is your Christian duty to vote. And it's like, well, I don't like to get political. And it's like, it's your Christian duty to be political completely. Because if there are things that you can vote for or vote against that will love your neighbor, that will feed the hungry, that will take care of the widow, like, then you need to do it and you need to act on it and not be passive Passivity kills. And we've seen that 
in so many instances. But yeah, when it comes to Christians and being political and being activists, like we should be the loudest activists. We should be the most aggressive activists for change, for the good of the people, for the good of everyone, not just, you know, our like cul-de-sac. Yeah. Our stocks and bonds (laughs) and yeah, whatever that stuff is that I don't have any of. Um, Same. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I, you know, politics and Christianity, they, they are aligned. And, um, Mm -hmm. I, I like the way you said that, like we have to seek, seek our ability to be involved in the decisions that are being made. If we say that we care about people, yeah, then, then our votes, I think should be, should be reflective of that. And I can't say, you know, each, each cycle election cycle is a little bit different in what that might look like, but, mm-hmm. um, there is a, definitely a distinct responsibility there. Mm. It's tough. That's tough. Cause yeah. I know a lot of people, they kind of opted out of this one mm-hmm. and can't tell them like that. That's totally wrong either, but I feel like you should have voted on something like you should have been voting on local issues at least. Um, if yeah. you didn't feel comfortable ticking any of the presidential candidates off, like, or See, you picked third party. Well, I hope yeah. that you, um, hope that you research that third party as yeah. well, because <laughs> a lot of people like to do that. They like to choose the third party because they mm-hmm. think it's just naturally better. like the, yeah, the better, but it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, there's nuance to that too. Like they have mm-hmm. stances on things and you want to make yeah, sure that, this is a real person. Yeah, it's a real person. <laughs> um, but this was just a, it's been a whirlwind of coming up on like a year now. And I was just really interested to get your take on some yeah. of this stuff. And I don't know if you have anything that you want to like end with or any last thoughts or wisdom for the, for the listeners. Oh yeah. I put you on the spot. See, you don't have to see. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I just like have this immense. <laughs> You're like, I have something for you. <laughs> like here. <laughs> um, I was going to just add to what you just said. And for me, um, because I am, I am more aggressive when it comes to like what I think is right and good and true and biblical. Um, so I will tell people what to be like, you need to vote, mm-hmm. you know? And so when it comes to like voting third party, when it comes to not voting at all, I think in this circumstance, it was crucial to vote. Um, yeah, Joe Biden, not my first choice. <laughs> As president, believe it or not, but he was not Donald Trump. And I could see how much destruction, like we see the trail, you know, that Trump has left behind us. And so for me and my my duty as a Christian, I am to end that like in any way, shape or form. And if that's going to be me just like feeling not really great about Mm -hmm. my vote or like feeling uncomfortable. It's like, I'll be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm not scared to be uncomfortable for the millions of people that will be affected, including myself. If Donald Trump wins again, Um, we've seen too many people die. I think too many. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a little bit more loud and proud about my beliefs. Yeah, no, I, (laughs) the world needs people. Um, like you. And so I appreciate you taking this opportunity to yeah, speak into the microphone. Me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work to be done 
in these yes. next four years and beyond. And, and beyond until think, Lord Jesus, yeah, take me away. <laughs> yeah, we have we talked about added responsibility, right? So yeah, I think that's you and I both looking in the mirror as well. So it, it, it's Definitely. cool to kind of be on this journey with you as well. Yeah. Right. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you guys for listening. We love you. Bye bye. <laughs>